starting a new series this morning. I'm calling it the, the Gospel According to Matthew. And uh, we're going to just kick off uh, with a, a study of a great book in the Bible. Uh, I guess I'm about a week late, but, but welcome to 2022. Uh, we've, today is the, the ninth, so a little bit over a week. Uh, it seems like just yesterday that we were saying goodbye to that crazy year, 2020. Remember? Remember 2020? Uh, and we welcomed in 2021. Remember all the signs that said, uh, good riddance, 2020? Because uh, we just knew 2021 was going to be so much better. Uh, the, a brighter year, more freedom, less COVID. Eh. Uh, I think it, it's ended up being better in some ways, 2021 was, uh, especially in our state. Uh, life, in many ways, is sort of back to normal uh, in, in many areas. Uh, here, we got back together. We're here. We're not watching on Facebook. Isn't that great? Uh, I mean, it was nice to have Facebook when that's all we had, but uh, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, God's people were meant to gather together. Uh, in 2021, we had a, a real vacation Bible school, uh, and it was a great vacation Bible school. I'm sure we'll have another one this year. Um, we started our Wednesday night meal and Bible study again, which I have really enjoyed. And, and those of you who come, I think, I hope you enjoy that. I think you do. Uh, we had a Thanksgiving meal together uh, at Thanksgiving time. We had a great candlelight service at Christmas time together. Uh, we also welcomed our youth minister and his wife, Chris and Kristen Stowe, uh, who have been uh, really a blessing for us uh, since they've been here. Um, overall, I, I think 2021 was a pretty good year for Stony Brook. Uh, at the same time, I know 2021 was a challenging year for many of you uh, with health issues, job concerns, uh, whether or not to take the vaccine, you know, all those things that, that there were still challenges for 2021. There were economic concerns, still are, but there were higher prices, higher gas prices, higher food prices. Um, 2021 was not without its challenges, for sure. But overall, perhaps a little smoother than 2020 was, uh, for sure. Of course, every year has its ups and downs, and 2022 will be no different than any other year. COVID infections are up uh, on the rise. Less people are, are being severely affected by it, it seems, from what I'm hearing, but the, the numbers are up. Uh, where there is the breath of life, though, there is hope. Uh, and especially those, for those of us who embrace Jesus as our Savior, there is hope even beyond this life, no matter what happens. No matter what 2020 throws at us, we're going to be okay if we know Jesus uh, because there's peace and there's joy that is ours. It's a gift from God because of Jesus, our Savior. Uh, for those who were with us at the beginning of 2021, way back then, a year ago, you remember that we started that year, last year off, uh, on our Sunday morning teaching in the very first book of the, of the Bible, the first book of the Old Testament, the, the book of Genesis, and, I, and we called that series Beginnings. Uh, we spent a few weeks just seeing what we could learn from some of the great stories of, of Genesis, from creation to Noah to Abraham to Joseph. I certainly enjoyed that, uh, that study, and I hope you did too. And by the way, it's still available if you want to go back and listen to some of those messages, along with many other the, of the Sunday morning messages, uh, either on our website, if you go to our church website and go up to sermons at the top, uh, uh, you, you can scroll through and find some of the past uh, teaching, 
And also, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, iTunes or, or uh, uh, iHeart Radio, those kind of places, um, you can also find uh, those messages as well from the past. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, since we began last year with the first book of the Old Testament, I thought it might be a meaningful, meaningful to see what we can learn from the first book of the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And I came up with this really creative title for the series. I'm calling it The Gospel According to Matthew. <laughs> what do you think of that? Most I call it that because that's what the logo says. Um, what can we learn from uh, the Apostle Matthew as he writes this narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus? You know, many people who study the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four narratives of Jesus' life, uh, they, they seek to harmonize them together uh, with the idea of trying to get uh, the full picture, the complete picture of the ministry of Jesus. The four, the four Gospels were written by four different men with different backgrounds, with different agendas, uh, different vantage points uh, from uh, their life and their experience with Jesus. Uh, so naturally, the four gospel accounts uh, are not identical in every detail. You know, one account mentions a detail in a particular story that the other three don't mention. And maybe one writer relates an event that the other three don't mention at all. And that's not unusual when you're talking about four witnesses. You know, often multiple witnesses who saw the exact same event, um, when they go to testify in a court of law, often do the very same thing. You know, they tell their story according to their vantage point. Uh, one focuses on the kind of car that was driven. Uh, the other notices the color of the driver's hair or clothes. You know, I didn't notice the color of the hair, but uh, I know for sure he was driving uh, a Ford F-100, a blue one. <laughs> you know, both witnesses are credible, uh, but they didn't tell the exact same story in every detail. That's just the way it is with witnesses. Because of this tendency of witnesses, it's sometimes helpful then to combine the testimonies of witnesses to get the more complete story of exactly what happened. What did you see? What did you see? We'll put it together. Thus the idea, and when it comes to studying the four witnesses of Jesus or the four gospels, uh, the idea of trying to harmonize the four gospels uh, and, their, and their stories. But while harmonizing the gospels can be helpful and, and beneficial in, in our study of, of God's word, a disadvantage of harmonizing it is that you tend to then miss the agenda of each individual writer. Uh, if, if you're trying to, to get all the facts straight, you know, the, the, the who did what, the when, the how many, get all those details in order and just right, you miss the reason that each writer told his story the way he told it. So Mark was, was a, as we look at some of the, 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 the gospel writers and, uh, and who they were, Mark uh, was a companion of both Peter and Paul. And many scholars feel that Mark's gospel was, was an account of Peter's testimony because Mark didn't really travel and, know, and, and, and learn from Jesus personally, but he was a companion of the apostle Peter who did accompany and learn and was a companion of Jesus. Um, the stories that Peter told about his experience with Jesus 
many feel that Mark relates Peter's uh, account. Mark's intended audience that he wrote to seems to be more towards Gentiles than Jews. Many feel that Mark's gospel was first introduced in Rome or in Italy, and his style of writing leans toward a Greek or a Western style, uh, one that would be understood more by a Gentile audience. Luke was an educated man, a physician, in fact. Uh, He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, He likely was a Gentile. Luke's account came from witnesses that he spoke to and witnesses he listened to, and he wrote his account from a Gentile or non-Jewish view. Luke is very logical and exact in his narrative, just as you would expect a, a Greek writer to be. Very different from a Jewish or Eastern writer uh, style who tended to try to draw pictures with his words rather than get all the details exactly right and in order. John, an apostle of Jesus, testified of the many events and moments that he had uh, with Jesus uh, that he relates. Because John was a very, very close friend of Jesus, and he tells many stories about the personal ministry of Jesus. He relates several one-on-one situations that Jesus had, like with Nicodemus in John chapter 5, which teaches that Jesus had an active private ministry along with uh, his ministry to large groups and groups of people. John stresses the divinity of Jesus Jesus as well as his humanity. It's in John that we learn that Jesus wept. Uh, he, He grieved Uh, when his personal friends, Mary and Martha, were experiencing grief when they lost their brother, um, Lazarus. Now, we'll talk about Matthew in in just a moment, but but while harmonizing the four Gospels can be beneficial, and we need to do that, um, and and it's needed sometimes, especially if we're trying to work out all the details of a story, what exactly happened? We Westerners like to do that. Uh, You know, the who, the what, the where of a story. When we do that, we might miss the very reason why they told their story, these individual writers, the way they told it. We might miss their particular agenda, their reason for the narrative that they wrote in the first place. So with that being said, during this series, we're going to mainly focus on one gospel, the gospel of Matthew. And we're going to seek to learn from Matthew's account uh, and, and while doing so, we're going to s- discover why Matthew gave his testimony in the way that he did. Sometimes different than the other three. Today, let's consider the questions. Who is Matthew? Um, and when he wrote his account, who was he seeking to minister to? Who was his, his intended audience? Now, we might say, well, his intended audience was everyone, right? It was for, for us, wasn't it? Well, sure, yes, it is for us, that's true. But who was his first intended audience? Who was he trying to reach with his message of Jesus? So first, who was Matthew? Well, Matthew was a Jewish man. Uh, he was raised in a Jewish home. He was taught Jewish things by Jewish parents. Uh, He went to a Jewish school and was taught by a Jewish teacher. 
Now, while he later became a tax collector for the Romans, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute, he, Matthew was 100% Jewish. Now, who was Matthew's original intended audience? Who was he trying to reach with this narrative that he wrote? Well, Matthew was a Jewish author writing to a Jewish audience. Compared to the other gospel accounts, Matthew's style of writing is very, very much from an Eastern way of thinking. Now, you might remember we talked about this a little bit last year when we were discussing the creation story in Genesis. You know, we Westerner thinkers, which all of us are, um, we, when we read the creation story, you know, we like to figure out all the details. You know, what, when did it happen? What, how long did it last? How long was a day? Was a day uh, 24 hours? Was it, was it a, a, a long time uh, beyond 24 hours? What, what's the exact order that everything happened? We Westerners, we've got to know that. We've got to know that because that's the way we think. Why was it done that way? Westerners think details, 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 right? And so that's why we get kind of confused when we read that light came before the sun. Well, how could that be? That doesn't work logically in our Western mind. But it wasn't a problem for Easterners at all. (laughs) Easterners, which include Jews, don't think like that. They like to think poetically. Uh, They they like to paint pictures with their words. Uh, They like to bury the point that they're making in the narrative so you have to search for it like a buried treasure. Their goal is to relate a message, not necessarily give you the mechanics of exactly how it happened. They're just trying to tell a message, to relate a message. Matthew's agenda in his narrative is to help his fellow Jews... Understand that Jesus is their promised Messiah. Their promised Messiah. And he, and he does this not in the Western way, A plus B plus C equals Jesus, but in the ways Jewish people would relate to. For example, what did God mean when he said, love your neighbor? What does a neighbor look like? Matthew's agenda is found in his opening chapter. In the genealogy of Jesus. You know, usually when we read um, the, the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter work, work 1, what do we think? Wow, what a boring passage. How many of us just kind of go, okay, let's get to chapter 2. <laughs> you know, it's just a list of boring names that we hardly can pronounce, right? But, but if we try to read them from a Jewish writer's agenda, a writer who was trying to help his, his Jewish audience understand that this Jesus is their Jewish Messiah, chapter 1 can be filled with buried treasure. So I'm going to attempt to read the first verses, the first 17 verses of chapter 1. If you want to turn over to that, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, it'll be on the board too. Um, So forgive me if I mispronounce some of these names. All right, you ready? Okay, you want to read along with me? No, never mind. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose, name, whose mother was Tamar, 
Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abimadad, Abimadad, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of uh, Shiltiel, Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, 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 the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Whew. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I practiced it. I practiced it. <laughs> I don't want to read it again, though. That'll be, that'll be it. That'll be it for reading it. Um, so there it is. There it is. Chapter Matthew made a point to include this genealogy in his writing. What was the purpose uh, of providing this genealogy to his Je- Jewish audience? Uh, Well, a couple of things. Um, One is to show his audience that Jesus' heritage was very Jewish. You know, Jesus descended from biblical royalty, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he descended from King David and King Solomon. Uh, His heritage can be traced back to many of the great heroes that his Jewish audience greatly admired. But there was another agenda in presenting this genealogy. Uh, most, most, I've learned as in my study for this, most Jewish genealogies almost always listed only men. Only men. Uh, Jewish culture was a patriarchal culture. You know, like it or, or, or not, uh, that's the way it was. it was. It was one of those patriarchal cultures so that your identity was always linked to fathers, not mothers. Uh, It's not fair to you mothers, but that's just the way it was. Um, Yet Matthew departs from this normal way of listing a genealogy and includes several women in his genealogy, some of which had had somewhat shady reputations. For example, Tamar, uh, there in in verse 3. Tamar is mentioned as the mother of twins Perez and Zerah. Now, who was Tamar? If you look back in Genesis chapter 38, you read the story. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law who disguised herself as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law, Judah. Uh, She became pregnant with twins by Judah. 
Tamar is in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this was, this was mentioned, but there was really no need for Matthew to mention it. If he's going to give a genealogy, he doesn't need to mention Tamar. Yet he does anyway. Uh, only fathers were necessary, yet Matthew goes out of his way to mention Tamar. Hmm, interesting, why? Verse 5 mentions a woman named Rahab. Many of you know who Rahab is. She, in Joshua chapter 2, you read about her. Uh, she, was, she was a prostitute. She wasn't a pretend prostitute. She was a prostitute, a Canaanite, pagan prostitute, not a Jew. Again, it was not necessary for Matthew to mention her, yet he does. Why? Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, was in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth is mentioned. Now, Ruth was not a prostitute. Uh, in fact, she was a great woman with a beautiful story. You can read about her in the book of Ruth. But she was not Jewish. In fact, she was a Gentile, a Moabite, a pagan. Um, Moabites were often enemies of the Israelites. Matthew goes out of his way to mention the mother of Solomon, who is, and he identifies her as Uriah's wife. Uh, Matthew's audience knew exactly who Uriah's wife was. She was Bathsheba, uh, the woman that David had an affair with uh, and, and ended up killing Uriah to try to cover it up. 2 Samuel chapter 11, Bathsheba is in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, why did Matthew unnecessarily mention all of these dark stories in his genealogy when he didn't have to? What was his agenda for doing that? Well, Matthew was trying to help his Jewish audience see that throughout their history, there were unclean, unacceptable, defective sinners and even non-Jewish people who played an important role in their Jewish story. Uh, these were outsiders that they could not deny. Now, they could ignore it, and they probably did a lot. They could pretend that it didn't exist, but the fact was they did exist. Outsiders have always played a part in God's story. Matthew subtly includes these outsiders who were undeniably a part of the story of bringing Israel there Messiah. Now, why would Matthew go out of his way to mention these outsiders in his narrative? Well, in fact, as we read through the whole gospel of Matthew, we see over and over again the introduction of outsiders uh, as, as, and, and, sh and shown how much God loved them, these outsiders. Chapter 2, for example, uh, introduces Gentile magi, from the east, who worshipped the stars and the planets. They were pagans. Uh, uh, Matthew mentions how they came to visit Jesus at his birth. Mary herself was a young woman that many thought had been unfaithful to Joseph and had become pregnant by somebody else. Jesus taught that, that we should give to the needy, not so that we could get credit or praise for it ourselves, but because we truly care about the poor. Don't judge other people's mistakes until you first consider your own mistakes. 
Jews would never touch a leper. But Jesus did. Jesus healed him, welcomed him, loved him. Jesus praised the faith of a Gentile centurion, a Gentile, who came to him for help. Jesus condemned the hypocritical actions of the religious leaders and and praised the selfless act of a poor widow or a desperate father. Why did Matthew include in his genealogy outsiders and tell many stories of Jesus' love for outsiders? Perhaps because Matthew himself was an outsider. You know, Matthew knew what it was like to be an outsider. Matthew was hated and despised by the Jews. Why? Why? Because he was a tax collector who worked for the Roman government. At some point in Matthew's life, for some reason, he was driven to work for the Romans. And we don't know exactly why. Uh, maybe he recognized the hypocrisy of many of the religious leaders uh, that he had been around all of his life. Uh, maybe going through the motions of religion without understanding why made no sense to him. But for some reason, Matthew decided to work for Rome and collect taxes from the people for Rome. Now, tax collectors were hated by the Jews, and some of the tax collectors were very dishonest. They took more than they should have taken, like Zacchaeus did. They were hated because of that, but many were hated just because they dared to associate with the Romans, who they hated even more. (laughs) Yet Jesus one day came up to Matthew a tax collector, a man hated by the religious people. And he said to Matthew, you, you, tax collector, you, come follow me. Come follow me. And for the first time in a long time, Matthew felt loved, and he heard a teaching that made sense. He learned not only how to serve God, but why he should serve God. The Gospel of Matthew is a story of Jesus from Matthew's vantage point. And and much of his story is about the fact that God accepts everyone. Everyone. Not just people from one nation. Not just those who belong to the right group because they practice the right traditions and follow the right rules. God loves everyone. Every sinner, every prodigal, every prostitute, every drug addict, every Democrat, every Republican, every person from every nation. With Jesus, every person who isn't supposed to belong found belonging. People who shouldn't have faith, Jesus said of them, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And people who had the text, who were supposed to know the way of God, who were devoted to obedience to the, to the rules, Jesus said of them, that's not the kind of obedience God's looking for. Those who thought they were first were last. And those who, considered, who were considered last by the religious, they were first in Jesus' mind. Matthew wrote his narrative 
in an attempt to get his fellow Jews to understand what it really meant to love and serve God. And of course, Matthew's narrative can still do that for you and me today, even though we're not Jewish. Sometimes we fall into the same traps that those Jews did. We worry more about following the rules than loving people. We get caught up in lifting ourselves up and looking down at others, you know, those outsiders. So let's join together as we begin 2022 and learn some lesson from Matthew as he relates the Jesus he knew. The Jesus who loved everyone, even him, an outsider. The gospel according to Matthew. Outsiders, welcome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the gospel of Matthew. I thank you so much uh, that uh, you have given and preserved this and the other gospels too. But uh, we're going to be looking at this, this narrative for the next several weeks. And I thank you for it. I pray that uh, you can guide us, that we can truly learn who Jesus was and, and what Jesus cared about and what he wants from his followers. And so I just pray that when we finish with this study, uh, we will be closer to you than ever. So bless us as we go forward from here. Thank you, Father, for accepting outsiders, which I am one of. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.